I'm so excited because we're going to be diving into a brand new series this morning that I am just so excited about. And uh, if you brought your Bibles this morning, we're going to be turning to Acts chapter 13. If you didn't, that's okay because everything's going to be up on the screen for you to follow along. But we are starting a new series this morning, and the title of that series is called Sent. And the subtitle of, that, of this series is Finding uh, Purpose in Unexpected Places, right? Because um, I just know that life throws us all sorts of curveballs, right? I just know that whether we like it or not, we are sent people. You could try to live the most stationary life, but the fact of the matter is there is movement typically somewhere in your life. Um, and the, specifically, I, I, as the first part in the first message in this series, I, I titled the, the message particularly for this morning as this, Expect the Unexpected. Now, um, I'm a big uh, fan of reality television. Anybody else? Come on, guilty pleasure. There we go. Yeah, me and Callie, that's about it. Okay, judge us. All right. Um, anyway, uh, so, you know, Survivor and some of these other reality televisions. Well, for me, the summer becomes one of the most exciting times of the television calendar year because my favorite reality television show comes on, and it's none other than a show called Big Brother. Anybody? Any Big Brother fans? Yeah, okay, five of us. Well, we're going to start a small group, watch it together, and have fun, okay? Um, anyway, Big Brother, uh, if you've never watched this show before, first off, if you're judging me, you probably think you have an idea of what this show is, but you don't. So let me explain it to you, and maybe you'll watch it because it's awesome. Anyway, they shove all these different people into a house together, and over, I mean, it's like over a few months, right? Um, and they do different competitions, and people get voted out of the house, and basically last man standing in this massive kind of social people game uh, wins 500000 and I don't know, for me, it's just a fascinating show because it lets you just watch how people live and how people socially interact. How people are willing to like say one thing and then stab other people in the back for the benefit of them possibly winning $500,000. And if you've ever watched this show, the, the slogan for this show is the title of the message this morning. Expect the unexpected. That's the slogan for the show. And I thought about that. And I thought, it's so funny that this is a slogan for a show that's a based on people in relationship one with one another, trying to figure out how to coexist in a household that they, and they didn't know each other prior for like, you know, the whole summer, right? And I thought about that, and I thought, man, that sounds a lot like just normal life, right? Like, we're kind of in this world, and we're brushing shoulders with people sometimes that we don't like, people that we don't understand, people all around, and because people are broken people, we're imperfect people, you and I are not God, we are just people, coexisting with people creates a lot of problems, and many times we have to expect the unexpected, because we just don't know what other people are going to do, right? People. It's so interesting how simple when we categorize life, how simple it can be. And this morning I had you guys turn to Acts chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at a story where... People were trying to make a positive difference. We have the early church during this time that are trying to make a positive difference in the world. Trying to be bearers of good news in terms of what it means to be human. That this God-man, Jesus, came to the earth and, and died for you and I. So that we don't need to try to like stumble and fumble throughout life, like trying to earn what it means to be perfect. But literally, Jesus came as perfect and died for us. See, we carry his identity. So the church, they were... They were expanding, they were trying to make a positive difference, positive difference in the world, and they expected the unexpected because life was crazy during this season. They were, the church was blowing up. 
There was persecution going on. Nobody knew what was on the other side of cultural barriers. But it's fascinating to me because you and I, we come into this thing called life, and we get into seasons that are unexpected. But the posture, especially the story that we're going to look at this morning and in throughout the series, is there's a confident expectation when it comes to life that I think we have a lot to learn and to glean from. So I'm going to pray this morning. We're going we're gonna to dive in. So let's bow our heads. Lord, we're just so thankful for you. We're so thankful that even in the midst of us maybe creating boundaries around the thoughts that you have on life, we could think or believe in the lie that man, these are archaic ideas, these are irrelevant truths, but time and time again you remind us of how you're right there in our midst, that your word reminds us of truth even in 2019. Your word reminds us of what perfection can look like. Your word reminds us of wisdom and how to navigate this thing called life that we journey with other human beings and other people. So Lord, help us glean from that this morning. I pray just that we wouldn't leave this place the same. There'd be something new that you can deposit into each and every one of our hearts uniquely. And even as a church family, Lord, there's something corporately that we can grasp onto as we move forward in this season together. We're thankful for you and we worship you with everything that we have. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. And this, this story and this situation is, is so fascinating to me. So we're going to begin in chapter 13, verse 1. And we're looking at a church that's expanded from the centerpiece of Jerusalem in, in kind of Middle Eastern geography, right? And, and, the, and the scripture reads, it says in, in Luke, the, the author Luke is writing, Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And there's just this diversity, this slew of people that he begins to list off that were a part of this church in Antioch. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And I think it's good for us to just kind of stop there. Because at a human level, here's, here's what we got to recognize as people. You and I, whether we like it or not, we are sent. And we're sent specifically to people. In our daily weeks, in our rhythms, there's people everywhere. There's people we don't like. There's people we like. But we are sent people. If we live daily rhythms of life in community with others, which I know this is very difficult to literally live completely off the radar with any other human interaction, but if we're like majority of people, we live in rhythm as sent people for whatever the assignment looks like, whether our job, school, education, friendships, we are sent people to when it comes to being in relationship with other human beings. And it's no wonder because people are God's greatest resource and joy. So it's no wonder that God's main story in life regards to us, makes it regards to us, builds a story around us as human beings, how we live, how we navigate as people with life and breath as human beings. And it's no wonder that Jesus has good news. His life, his death, his resurrection for us isn't just good news in a general sense. It's good news for humanity. It's good news for living, breathing people. It's good news for the greatest resource in all the world, which is living, breathing human beings, uniquely created by God. But here's where the difference really begins to kind of uh, fracture for us as human beings. How we interact and choose to interact with other human beings, that's where the differences start to arise, right? How do we act with other human beings? How do we treat other human beings? What does our relationship look like with other human beings? See, this is where the difference begins to rise up. But here's what I love at the beginning of this story we're looking at is Antioch, this was a church, an early church, and it was diverse. 
It was filled with so many different types of people, right? This was a diverse group of people. Many of them were immigrants to the area, and they were representative of God's heart and mission towards the other. See, this was a group of so many different people that were connecting with the truth of what Jesus had done for them, and they had a passion and a commitment to say, man, look at us. We are so diverse. The names in that first scripture, diverse group of people with many different backgrounds learning how to coexist under this common theme of Jesus and what he's done in reference to the human experience and what it means to live and breathe as a human being. So this church in Antioch, they had a passion to figure out who else is out there. Who else can we grab? What other different people exist for us to grab and to really embrace into the diversity of figuring out what it looks like to be a diverse human culture of different subcultures and to coexist as one family? See, the church in Antioch, their vision was not simply for an outreach in just Antioch. They had a massive vision. Their vision was global. They're saying, how can we grab everyone else who hasn't heard or been excluded for the fact that Jesus has done something for humanity that has changed our lives? Changed our lives to the point of saying, we're willing to put our own lives on the line to go tell this good news to other people. They were unified under, under God's purposes and his larger purposes for the world. So I just believe as we begin, kind of even with that first scripture this morning, and this, this truth is going to be up on the screen, I just believe there's purpose where God has sent you because there are this. There's people. You might be in an unexpected season right now. You might be like, why am I here? What's going on? This feels unjust. This feels unexpected. But God wants to remind you this morning, there's purpose where you're at because there's people around you. And people are the apple of his eye in the same way that you are. Wherever you are right now, whatever has sent you to where you are in your weekly rhythms, there's purpose there because there's people that God cares deeply about. There's people that he has died for. There's people that you don't like. There's people's behaviors. There's morals that you don't agree with in other people's lives around you. And that's exactly why you're right there because there's purpose. Because there's other diverse people that Jesus died for that he cares so much about that he's like, I want your attention to be an ambassador for those people because there's purpose wherever people are at. See, it's so interesting when we frame the beginning of this story under the idea that it was such a diverse group of people. And many times we complain when people don't comply to the way that we live. But there's beauty in the diversity and there's beauty in the differences of where God has sent us. We continue on in Acts chapter 13, verses 2 through 4. So these people are getting together, this diverse group of people. It says this in verse 2, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me two main characters here we're going to really zoom on in this series, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. So let's get a little bit of the geography, understanding what's happening here, because I don't know about you, I like read some of these stories and I'm like, what's going on here? So we have a little bit of a map. So we have Antioch of Syria, which is on the right-hand side of the screen, if you see that. And, and basically, here we are in the Mediterranean Sea, hundreds of miles away. Paul and Barnabas are being sent off to Salamis, which is on this island of Cyprus, right? Traveling, 
giving up, they've laid down their lives literally for the mission of saying, we want to tell other people about what Jesus has done. If there's anybody else, this island, maybe these people on this island don't know. We don't know their culture. We don't know how they've been living. They live on an island. They're going to be different. They're people. But God cares about them, so we're sent people. We're going to figure out what the differences are and say, let's get under the same assumption, which is that Jesus died, loves us, broke himself for the sake of us so that we may live full and abundant lives. So they're going, they're traveling, they're putting their lives on the line. And as they do that, they're getting prepared. See, there's people involved, but there's this element of preparation as well. There's this element of prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting, how do we kind of frame that today in terms of what that represents for us? Well, I, I believe this, prayer and fasting, it's a deliberate sacrifice and expression of commitment. We pray to God because we're committed to Him. We fast, or other known, also known as giving up. Many times food was the common thing that happened for these people. Giving up food and dedicating and replacing that with worship or dedication and commitment to God. See, they knew they were being sent to people, and they knew it was probably going to be a little bit difficult because many times people are what? Difficult, right? We expect the unexpected from people because we can't be police officers and controlling them and to comply with exactly how we live. So these guys knew the people they were being sent to is going to be difficult because we're dealing with other imperfect, broken human beings, and it's going to be a challenge. So what did they do? They prepared. And it's interesting to see how they prepared. They prepared with Holy Spirit type of direction, with God direction, and specifically by praying and fasting. See, when we pray to God, we're dedicated to God. But if God cares about people, when we pray to God, we're praying to him for the benefit of being sent on his mission for other people. And it's interesting because many times in the scripture and what we see many times, even in the rhythm as Jesus discipled others, is prayer is partnered with this idea of fasting. Of partnering ourselves spiritually and saying, how can we be dedicated to the Lord? See, fasting, when we give up our own schedule for the benefit of connecting with God so that we can connect with others, it places this deliberate sacrifice and commitment to other people, to people, to give us the strength, the patience, the endurance that we need to find purpose wherever we're at because we understand there's living, breathing human beings that God cares so deeply about. But if maybe you're a prayer person this morning, but I want to challenge us this morning, how often do you fast? You know, I've been making it a challenge for me recently in these recent weeks to go beyond the, well, I'm praying for you. Because here's what I know. Cliches are so easy. And people know it. Maybe prayer, I'm praying for you, looked a little bit different because when people knew the early church was praying for them, they knew, they saw people on their face dedicated to the cause. But I'll just say this, in our culture today, many times the cliche, oh, I'm praying for you, it sends a message that people are like, you're probably not because I'm not an idiot. And you're a broken human being just like I am. We're all selfish together, so it's nice that we have cliches to make ourselves feel better. But what are we actually doing? And this is where I believe, even for this morning for us, fasting comes into play. Because fasting for me, when you partner fasting with prayer, not to say prayer is not, you know, uh, able to accomplish so much on its own. But I love how many times in the biblical narrative it is partnered with this idea of fasting. 
Because what does it look like when you're like, hey, I know there's some stuff going on in your life where you're saying, I'm committed to fast lunch this week maybe, and I'm going to pray for you. See, it communicates something completely different. It communicates, wow, somebody's thought of me taking time out of their schedule, is committing and sacrificing a part of their life, not only to be closer to God, but to be a person that's saying, I'm committed to God because God is committed to you. And that I am committed to you as well. What would it look like, church, if we are committed people that more oftentimes than not, we partnered our prayer with intentional fasting for other people? What would that look like? See, for the early church during this time and for a diverse church that was trying to figure it out, this was commonplace. Even before they were being sent to people, there was a foundation of radical prayer and fasting when it came to listening to God and being directed by God's direction for our lives. It's up on the screen. I just want us to reflect on this. Are you spiritually prepared for life's problems? Problems are going to happen. Problems are right around the corner because we're talking about people once again. But are we prepared? Do we go into our weeks prepared to understand there's going to be differences? There's going to be disagreements. There's going to be imperfect people living on this earth, living, breathing, rubbing shoulders with us in our daily rhythms. But are we prepared? Are we prepared? Are we intentionally prepared to make a difference whether we're acknowledging that we're sent there or not? Whether we felt forced into the season or well willingly we're like excited about where we're at in the season. Either way, we've been sent to a place where we're surrounded by other people. But are we prepared? I think it's so interesting to see how the early church prepared. They prepared by spiritually saying no to themselves so that they could say yes to God's love, his heart, and his mission for other people. Let's continue on because now now we're going to be getting into the good stuff. Acts chapter 13, verse 5. Let's continue on. It says, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. Okay, back to the geography. Because anytime a new name comes up, I'm like, well, I, I don't see it. I don't understand. I'm not a master on Middle Eastern uh, ancient geography. Okay, here we go. So, Cyprus, they were in Salamis. And now they're moving, right? They're moving to the west coast. They're moving throughout Cyprus, right? They're moving throughout this island. And they come eventually to Paphos. But before they do that, they're moving in a direction east to west on this island, and they're finding Jewish synagogues. They're finding other faith-based people, God's people, and all is going according to plan. Hey, we're trying to find faith-based people, and we're trying to acknowledge and get them on board with what Jesus has done. That the Messiah has come, he's done a new thing, and we're trying to get faith people on board with this new thing that God is doing. They're proclaiming the word of God in Jewish synagogues. They got help along the way, and, and, and they're encouraging other faith people to get onto mission with God. All seems to be according to plan, because uh, up to the scriptures in this point, this is very commonplace for what was happening. Hey, let's go spread the word of God to the other faith people, and for those who haven't heard or found out what God's doing, um, let's get them up to speed and let's encourage them to go grab other people and to spread the good news of what God is doing in this season, in this time, in this point in human history, right? And then Acts chapter 13, it continue on, continues on in verses 6 through 8. It says, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos, which is on the west coast of this island. There, they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. We got a guy excited about what God's doing. He's heard rumors 
the words have spread. And then verse 8. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. See, up on the screen, we have moving to the west coast to this area of Paphos, but next up on the screen, there's going to be a little, a couple phrases here. Oh, right, yes. So here's what, I, here's what we need to understand is that when the Holy Spirit directs us, when we're people that are trying to listen into God, we're directed for people. We're directed in the direction for people. We're going towards them because God is for other people. And in the scriptures, what we see, spiritual opposition, here's what spiritual opposition is all about. It's against people. It takes a posture against people. Against people discovering the breakthrough, breaking through the lies that's spoken over our lives time and time again and embracing the truth of what God has for each and every one of us. See, throughout the scripture, this is what we see. There's people directed by God's spirit and it's going towards people because God is so much for people. And where spiritual opposition comes in, it tries to convince us of the lies that we're supposed to be people that are against other people. It breeds division and fear. It creates categories for people that are different than you and I. It says diversity is not a good thing. It says we're not supposed to be comfortable and create a bubble, but God is breaking us through the bubble to go serve and seek other people outside of the bubble that we've created. See, opposition to good spiritual power will try to make you be a person that creates and breeds division against people. That's exactly the enemy's heart, the enemy of your soul. That's exactly what evil and demonic power is all about. But the Holy Spirit's direction, guess what he's for? People, sinners, people that are different, people that fall short of the glory of God, people that have different moral standards. People, may I say, that have political, different political viewpoints than you do. God loves them, died for them, wants you to be a vessel to go seek and serve them. See, when we convince and buy into the lie that we're against people, we're buying into demonic opposition to God's mission, which is for people. To find people, to acknowledge them, and to introduce them into an abundant way of life that Jesus says, don't do it up by your own strength, but let my strength be the power that embraces and guides you. And it gets us into this idea and a topic that has really fascinated me in the scriptures called the stumbling block. A stumbling block. A lot of people use this phrase within church culture of making a description of, well, we, you can't be a stumbling block for another person. We're going to look, Luke, before he wrote the book of Acts, he wrote the gospel of Luke. So we're going to look at what Luke says in reference to this because I think this is really relevant to, the, to, to this story this morning, and in Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 2, Jesus says something pretty harsh. And this is what he says. He says to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. That's harsh language. We should probably be pretty clear on an understanding. What is Jesus talking about? There's something that's upsetting Jesus. And if followers of him should probably clue on and figuring out what this is that really wrongs Jesus' heart for other people, right? See, I think it's interesting because the context, Luke 15 and 16, leads into this pinnacle of this harsh statement and verse. 
See, there are several different stories that Jesus tells leading into this massive woe in Luke chapter 17. And here's the context for, this, for Luke 15 and 16 leading into it. This is the stories that Jesus is telling. He's telling stories about money, how you use and abuse it, how money can actually create horrible situations when not stewarded correctly for other people, where we can literally stand on the backs of other people to climb the ladder for our own success while neglecting the people that Jesus cares about other than you money. We can abuse it in a big way, and God cares about how we steward and take care of this practical thing in our life called money, marriage. Jesus talks about marriage in relationship to divorce. See, Jesus frames marriage in the context of when you are married, it, it displays this beautiful love in the same way that Christ loves the church, the way a husband and spouse interact with one another. If you're married, that's your number one ministry. Because Jesus is saying it's gonna, he's going to use it to display this massive beauty of the way that you love your spouse is the same way that, the Christ, that Christ loves the church. It's going to be a witness to people. God wants to use it. But, but the, this thing all gets kicked off in Luke chapter 15 in relationship to his mission. When these guys, religious guys, Pharisees and religious lawmakers say, look at this guy, Jesus. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. He associates with darkness. He's condoning the behavior of other people. And then what do you know? Jesus goes and he uses the context to describe all these different stories. The prodigal son, the disgruntled brother that's not okay with the fact that his dad would come and receive him even though he's gone through a season of waywardness. And the older brother who thinks it's not fair. It's not fair. God's grace isn't fair that he gets God's grace. And Jesus rebukes the brother in the heart of the brother who's playing the comparison game and is disgruntled. You see, the stumbling block is leading into a context in which we have to understand. Let's look at Matthew chapter 16 to kind of further understand this idea. Verse 21 through 23. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus was on a mission. He's like, this must happen. This is a part of the plan. I'm going to die for humanity. This is a part of it. This, you can't thwart this part of what needs to happen. There's details in between, but this is a part of my massive mission. It's going to happen. It needs to happen. It must happen. This is the mission of God. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter's like, I like having you around, Jesus, the God-man, the one who has unlimited wisdom, the one who's helping me, the one who's guiding me. He says, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, that's pretty harsh. You're calling one of your followers by the name of the ruler of the kingdom of evil. What does he say he is? Here's a stumbling block. To me, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. See, Jesus was on a mission. And when others got in the way of the mission that he was on to break through and give freedom for other people, Jesus was pretty harsh to rebuke. When other people get in the way from other people experiencing the freedom and hearing about Jesus and the patience of God, there's a theme throughout the scriptures that this is something that 
upsets Jesus' heart. See, the Bible tells us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. I love that posture. That's a challenging posture to take that you can't take without any spiritual preparation. There's a dependence and a definition of God's love that has to be defined out that comes exterior to our human capabilities. That's where we welcome Jesus' heart in to define and help us follow the commandments that he has set out for us to love other people radically. But in accountability to that love for people, there's a strong rebuke for those who get in the way of others to find Jesus. So the mission is to love. The mission is to go chase after. And this is the mission that Jesus is on. And anybody that gets in the way of that, you're a person too. But Jesus says it's time to rebuke that person and get out of the way. Because there's, there's a whole world, there's a whole culture for other people that I want to reach. So let's, up on the screen, kind of helps us, stumbling block. Those from a biblical perspective that trip up the spirit-filled mission of God to other people. I often think about Matthew 23, where Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. That's a power as human beings you and I have, to be the door shutters. Well, God's going to do what he's going to do. No, no, no. You are the fullness of Jesus to fill everything in every way. So you have the power to say, hey, you see God's good news? Slam. Based on your behavior. That's concerning to me. That's concerning when it comes to the posture we take in terms of getting in the way of other people. But it's interesting. What do we have in this story in Acts? We got a guy who's a false prophet, and what is how do we how does how is he being defined as a false prophet? Somebody who's getting in the way of God's mission. He's getting in the way. Paul, come hear the good news. In comes the false prophet, being an obstacle. Jesus' heart, he loves people, he's for people, he encourages us to take a posture to pray for those who persecute us, but he also encourages us to take a posture of saying, if people are trying to get in the way of tripping other people up, up getting to my love and getting access to my love, you know how I feel about this. It, it, it's time to do some dirty work here. It's time to get down spiritually. It's time to put the spiritual power where our faith is. It's time to step into spiritual opposition with the power of God before us. So it continues, Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through 11. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Paul just goes all out on this dude spiritually, full of spiritual power. It's like, you're in the way of Jesus' mission. By faith, guess what? Get out of the way. We got people we want to come to know Jesus and his power and his good news and message for humanity. And here's what's so interesting. The first verse there, Saul, who was also called Paul. Anybody know? This is the first time Saul's name is referenced as Paul in the narrative scriptures. A lot of people think that Saul's name, this guy who was like an enemy of the church, for those of you who are familiar with the story, this terrorist 
that was killing Christians, his name was Saul, a lot of people believe his name got changed at the moment where God got a hold of him. No, this is the moment. This is the first time in the scripture Saul's name is changed to Paul. It wasn't based on an identity of when he found Jesus. It was based on an identity when he was seeking out other people he was trying to reach. Meaning this, Paul was a very Greek and accepted name. He changed his name so that he would be socially and culturally acceptable that so that he could win other people. We criticize people that, go, that do things like this today. Oh, but you're bowing down to the standards of culture. No! Paul changed his name so that he could better reach people. This is the posture he took. He changed his name at a moment. He would have said, and it's been, it's been labeled as, well, that's when he found Jesus. No, this was many, many times later of him finding Jesus, and he changes his name in a moment that Luke records to show us the prominence of what it looked like for Paul to enter into another culture. I'm willing to change my name and my identity into a more Roman-accepted Greek-style name so that I can better reach somebody else. Wild. Fascinating stuff. This, this is now in the point of the scriptures where the stakes were referenced to someone else finding Jesus in relationship to Saul, who now his name is Paul. See, he was in pagan territory. Paul was. And he was assuming a good news delivery style for the average Greek person. He did his homework in terms of the other people he was trying to reach, and he said, you know what? I'm laying down my identity for the sake of trying to reach and include someone else who might be different than me. See, in order to oppose a child of the devil, Paul had his strategy, but he was spiritually prepared. Scripture tells us he was filled with the Spirit. And then lastly, in Acts chapter 16, verse 12, we, we get the final verse in this section. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. God did, did a little bit of showing off through Paul. The byproduct of that was a guy who was in leadership, had a position, who was curious and a seeker of his faith, saw a God be exemplified through another imperfect human being and said to himself, that was amazing. And I'm a believer in that. See, but a big part of our expectation, I truly believe this, is expecting opposition. We have unjust circumstances all over our, all over our world. And it's simply the result of living in a world that's imperfect. Filled with imperfect and broken people just like you and I. The effects of sin affect us in, in an unexpected season. In relationship to human beings, that takes so many different forms. Maybe for some of us in the room, we're grieving the loss of another human being. It's human related. And we're in a season right now where we, we're, we're fumbling our way through our grief and we're trying to figure it out. Maybe it's through a family member that you've just been cut off from. It's unexpected. You feel betrayed. But once again, it just boils back down to this idea that as human beings, we fail one another. 
But do we expect that? Are we prepared for the type of opposition that's going to come our way? What's amazing about God, it's not a matter of when he's going to get us through it. Many times it's a matter of how and how long. The timing, the process, the season, those are the, those are the answers we don't have clear those are the questions we don't have clear answers to, but what we do have a clear answer to is he will. He'll be faithful. He'll be faithful to get you through the season of opposition that you're feeling. He'll be faithful to get you through the season of this unjust feeling that we live in a world that constantly is reminding us that things aren't the way that they are. Welcome to a sin-filled world. Not pointing fingers that we are sinners. The curse of sin having its effects on the world that Jesus loves so much that he died for to remove that very curse of sin. See, the big truth this morning is if we continue in prayer, faith, trust, dependence upon God, he will carry us through. He'll get us through. The Spirit of God will provide power for you to confront the lies where he has sent you. Because here's what happens in a season of our life. We get sent to other people. We get discouraged by the lies that sometimes get spoken other, over us by other people. And we get insecure about who we are. See, God's way of life is one he's designed. He says, lies are going to be all over the place. But depend on me and remind yourself and cover and saturate your life to drown out the lies of the enemy in vulnerable situations of your life with truth. Maybe this season for you is so unexpected. You're sent into a place. Why am I here? Well, he's bringing purpose in the people that he's surrounding you with, but he also wants you to be prepared so that you can execute power when lies begin to be showered over you. When the lies of the enemy say, categorize those people, give them a label, and shove them away. See, the enemy wins. When, when Jesus wants to come in with our spiritual power and remind us, wait a second, maybe God wants to use me to bring breakthrough in that person's life. Maybe I'm a person who's endured so much pain and been betrayed by so many other people, but I've drowned out the lies of the enemy, and I've received a truth that the situation, the circumstances that are growing me based out of the imperfections of the world are grooming me to be a very person to serve someone else in their grief, in their hardship, in their family situation or relationship that's broken. See, God, he's constantly reminding us there needs to be a deep dependence upon him because we can't do great things in this life if we're going to be spiritually weak because the lies of spiritual powers are going to constantly come in and try to tell you to give up. You're not good enough. You're the big problem here, and you're the reason everyone else is miserable. But what if we change the posture, pushed back on the lies that the spiritual enemy of our souls wants to speak over us, and we push back on the spiritual power that's based on a faith and a dependence on a God who loves people so much. So this morning, this is what I want us to leave with. Expect the unexpected by relying on a higher power. His name is Jesus. He will get you through it. He will not allow you to stay in a place so discouraged and hopeless where you're saying, I just feel like giving up. He will be constant and help lead you through but it takes an acknowledgement that his mission is people and his provision is a power that takes us to a place of saying, what do our days look like and being prepared when it comes to being sent to other people who look different than us, who are not comfortable 
does it look like to optimize a situation and a season that feels unjust, feels unexpected, but God's saying there's purpose right where we're at because there's living, breathing people that God loves and cares about just like you and I. Can we pray this morning?